Hello and welcome to the podcast, Natalie Nahai In Conversation, the series that inquires into our relationship with one another, with technology and with the living world. Join me and some wonderful guests as we explore how we might reimagine humanity in the face of accelerating technological advancement, ecological disruption and systemic change. For more information on today's episode and guest, please visit natalienahai.com forward slash in conversation. And for additional books and resources, check out natalienahai.com forward slash resources. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Katarina Berg, Chief Human Resources Officer for Spotify and author of the recently published book, Bold, Strategic HR in a New Era, currently available in Swedish. An experienced HR leader with more than 25 years of expertise in leading and executing people strategies in various multinational companies, Katarina also heads up Spotify's global workplace services and strategy operations teams. Having been with the company since 2013, she led the talent transformation during the business transition from startup to a mature international company. Before Spotify, Katarina held high-profile HR roles in various multinational companies, including Prem, Swedbank, Canal 5 and 3, as well as catering to the people needs of a diverse, nimble and ever-changing organisation Katarina is also focused on building teams and reinventing processes to establish an environment where creative and passionate people can be their very best, have fun, and develop great careers. I was curious to talk with Katarina about how we might cultivate more thriving organisations, especially within a sector renowned for its constant, restless innovation. I was also interested to explore the impacts of AI and automation on morale, human potential and adaptability, especially since people working within the tech space are some of those most likely to be impacted as AI becomes increasingly integrated into our societal, economic and political lives. And a special shout out here to our mutual friend, Dr. Tomas Chamorro Pramuzic, who facilitated this conversation. I hope you enjoy the show. So Katarina, it's a pleasure to be in conversation with you. Where are you where are you joining me from today? I'm joining you from lovely Stockholm and it's a sunny day uh, and it's just been great for the last couple of years. Uh, weeks. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I wish uh, it was years, but uh, I don't know if you know that many Swedes, but we are obsessed with weather. <laughs> just like the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just been sunny the day, uh, week after week after week after week now. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. Well, it's good for the mood for sure. Yes. So given that you're in this lovely sunny moment with some lovely weather, I wonder if that's going to influence your answer to the first question. And I like to ask all of my guests this opening question. And it's what do you feel or think or sense is going on in the global human psyche right now, if we can take that frame and play with it. Mm, what's going on now in the psyche? I think it's a it's a it's a couple of things that kind of gets into a good mixer, and then I think we are more or less on the same page. If we are in the safe part of the world, mm. not saying that we are not suffering or feeling pain or anything, but if you not in a trauma in that sense that you are in war yeah. or you're starving, uh, you actually have a job or 
or you you are somewhere in in kind of a bit more mature part of the world i think it's three things i think most people are actually still struggling with the aftermath of the pandem- pandemic without knowing it or knowing it and i think it's both physical and and but for sure uh, in your psychic um and i think it it shows up in so different ways but i think people feel more tired than they think they they supposed to be um i think a lot of people have some kind of post something something stress um that they can't really recognize because they never been in a pandemic before mm-hmm. or been in lockdowns or and now it almost i think also in the combination of people don't can i still talk about this or is it that or is something else going on or is it just a shift in my life so i think that post and i don't think it is traumatic i think it's post something that we haven't found a word for hmm. mhm pandemic stress the second thing is i think right now a lot of exciting things i would like to think of it like that but also i that's how i experience it exciting things can also be exhausting things right and overwhelming so right now what i i think a lot of people are thinking trying out and trying to get their brains around is ai generative ai and llms and what that actually means uh, and uh, how fast and it's not when is it coming it's already here yeah. and i think um, the 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 natural brain goes into different ways depending on how you tackle usually tackle things right mm. so you will have the people that are not as excited as i am it doesn't mean that i'm naive or necessarily stupid and don't understand that it also comes with a couple of things but you also have the the people that usually go oh i'm skeptic and this will happen in a decade or 1000 years um and then i think you have the the larger kind of population where oh this is really scary and what does it mean for me um yeah. but it's also pretty cool um and i think all that all of that is overwhelming um so i think those two in combination right now um i i think the state of the union and the state of most people or human minds are actually ooh i think it's like the climate i i think it's quite hot right now i think it's 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 boiling a bit mm i love the different layers that you're kind of touching on there um and so Let's connect that then with your work as Chief Human Resources Officer at Spotify. Mm. And I imagine that given the position that you're in working with people thinking about organizations, the individual and collective potential that we hold, um the question I'd like to ask you perhaps in connection with your work, but I'd like to kind of go to a deeper root is what do you most profoundly love at work? It can be at work or it can be in life. <laughs> because i think it's it's two things i i i really think it's important not to define yourself with what you do i think you are much more interesting than your job yeah. and i happen to love my job right so work is a uh, very important things and 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 that's why i i'm not really fond of the etiquette or the label of work life balance because mm-hmm. i think work is a very big part of life and ask anybody that is outside uh, the labor market and and wants to be part of it uh, um right so 
It's more about, for me, work family. And family could be friends if you don't have your own family, but you then maybe belong. It could be sports. It could be whatever. So I think it's about work family balance. But what do I love or what do I feel passionate about? I think it's it's kind of how we rethink and re, we have to rewire how we think about work. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of challenges, but it's also a lot of things that we don't have the answer to. So being a behavioral science uh, scientist, um, I think work has never been more um, challenging, harder, um, more fun, uh, and more exciting. Uh, so I'm quite passionate about what does that mean. Um, the other thing, uh, which is hard not to say that you're passionate about, is your friends and your family. Uh, it's the it's the small things that uh, are not small. Um, when you start to think about what can happen, right? So uh, I think they need to be connected. Uh, so um, keeping my balance, which cha- changes also from day to day. So it's not one of those, mm. I need to catch that uh, wet soap uh, of, uh, of <laughs> this is the perfect balance. I think it has to do with, you know, what's important to you that day. Uh, and that could yeah. be way too many hours at work uh, it also could be one of those I really need a break and and not think about anything else than relaxing or being spending time with my my, my nearest and my dearest hmm. that kind of quality of discernment which I think mm. we all need <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your work um, at Spotify and redefining the HR department because I think one of the things that's come up a lot you mentioned earlier the disruption from AI the excitement about it but also the fear that many people have um, and different forms of fear. And so when we're thinking about organisations and, of course, AI and automation, we have to talk about people mm. and the role of the HR department in its purpose and what it does. And um, in your new book, which I don't believe is out yet in English, but I'll give the English translation to the title, which is Bold Strategic HR in a New Era, you write about, and I'd love to quote this, the importance of role models, civil courage, clear direction and passion. And that just like for super talented musicians, it's difficult to be part of a concerted orchestra without a conductor who dares to step up, show up and openly take risks. So from there, I'd love to ask, within the context of people and an organisation, what does good leadership mean to you if we're thinking about like the conductor and the orchestra? That's a great question. But first of all, it was really nice to hear part of your book read by somebody else out loud. That I really like that. And I'm like, oh my God, that is did did we write that? Um, um yeah. It's such a beautiful quote as well. <laughs> yeah. No, but but I think I think that sums up quite of why it is a good time to be active and also First of all, be part of a band, right? You're always, I think the, the, the universal drivers, no matter who you are, where you are, what pocket of the world or what you do for a living, right, is uh, some sort of autonomy. Um, because I don't think if you look at it from an organization, you don't, you don't want to uh, recruit or hire grown-ups and then treat them like children. That will backfire for sure. Yeah. But then you go to yourself and, and somebody uh, or an organization or a corporation or whatever you would like to call if if you are treated like that most of us no matter if we are mature and 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 not like teenager and want to to hey um state that you are like a person of free will um like all the time 
I think still as a grown-up, you go, hey, don't tell me what to do. It will take away my willingness, but also I think the what we all are born with. And then if you're lucky enough, somebody will not crush and destroy and take away uh, what comes natural, which is being passionate, curious, right? And that being passionate, curious about things, I think is one of the most important things to stay relevant, to be be employable. But also as an employer, uh, that is what you're looking for, right? So it's it's not necessarily adoption all the time. It's not necessarily um, the things that we usually train people. It's more about how can you make sure that you're parents and then school and then society but also workplace don't kill that because with that curiosity the willing uh, and the ability to learn and upskill uh, of course you know reskill and I think more and more important when everything is moving faster and faster to also off skill right you can't just press new things into your head Hmm. so how do we as a serious employer how do we do as a lean in HR team how do we make sure that we take our responsibility to not kill that curiosity how do we make sure that work life where it's a lot about performance but you still have the smorgasbord Hmm. of how do I make sure that I add things into kind of the the thing that makes up me so the individual when the individual right as we say when he she they grow the company grows when they are doing well we are doing well so how do you tend to that without getting into a pampering state of mind or uh, because the pampering is not about like uh, we should spoil them or they get entitled I think it takes away the propeller and the urge of I want to learn new things. I want to try new things. So it's a delicate touch, right? The second thing with AI and with most likely some redundancies in skills, again, how do we lean in and and really try to be proactive so we reskill and upskill people so they still are relevant for the next stage, right? Where the base of the foundation of the knowledge, capabilities and personality is relevant enough. And if we know that it's more of the things that we usually didn't necessarily say was important into organization. And I, I don't, and I'm not going to go into that because it's, I don't want it to make it about semantics. So I'm going to use what mo- most people say, but soft skill did not necessarily pay that much, or it wasn't very important or strategic, or it was something that some roles had where more more one gender was. Yeah. But hey, if you start to think about AI and the democracy that it will also help you with with so many things and how it will take away a lot of the things that are repetitive and and not necessarily all that smart work, what are the things that most likely will take longer if we actually think that most of the changes will already be around the corner in two, five, seven years. It is obviously things that where empathy is needed, strategy is needed. Mm. Hey, how do you put in meaningfulness, which is important to all humans, purpose-driven, like Mm. the, the vision, all the things that are soft skills. Um, so I think it's about to 
try to dress, put more new types of mental clothes on people. So when the shift comes, that has already started, that you don't have your summer clothes on when it's time for the winter, because the winter will otherwise come and it will be pretty cold. So these things are the things that the team and I are very excited about, that actually being a behavior scientist, I think it's like the, the coming decade. It's going to be the shit. <laughs> but together with technology, it's not either or. It's going to be in combination with. And um, that's a quite new, really, really, really strategic era around the corner. So it's interesting you're talking about how we might be better prepared for when the, the winter comes, because this season in particular, I'm interested in what we mean by mm. resilience when we use that word, what it means to cultivate an ability to adapt, to make sense of complexity. Um, and in your book, you write that courageous and impactful HR mm. is not only about culture, but also a long-term vision and a short-term plan. And I think this is one of these things where in the face of uncertainty and tumult and volatility and complexity, how we conceive of the next plausible steps that we can make, how far ahead we can see into the future when there's so much uncertainty and orienting that along the lines mm. of a, a bigger vision. Obviously, the steps might need to change, but the orientation remains the same. How do you see people in your world, in the world of HR, conceiving of resilience and what can we do to become more resilient? It's one of those... Um is that something that you are born with? Is that a trait or is that something that you can develop? Obviously, I believe that you can develop and grow that, but you have to practice it. And then I think when you practice it, mm. I think one of those um, receipts that you get, well, it didn't kill you, right? <laughs> and it very fast, it made you stronger. Uh, and we are all born with a spine, and uh, we just need to use it in that sense that if you come from a warm place, the message could be quite harsh in so many ways because you're trying to help an individual or a team or an organization or uh, the whole company um, to survive. But it's, it's one of those you hear a lot, especially in HR, you hear a lot like, okay, there's a new open role, we're recruiting for that. They, they want to do a, a big change. It's going to be all about this. The culture is like uh, needs to evolve or um, uh, there needs to be a big change. So they have done the diagnose, but they don't want to swallow the medicine, right? So how do you make sure that everybody understands what you're doing, especially if you sit on a bit more information than most and then you also have to come to terms with what Nietzsche said, and, and I think he was 100% right. People don't have to like your decision. They just have to understand it. So you have to over-index in, mm. on information in so many ways that they are, okay, I don't like it. I think it's too early. Or before, when I didn't know anything, it didn't make sense. And we have taught a lot of people to, 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 to say that they like change. But the honest kind of fact is this. People don't like change um, because then they wouldn't be human beings. People only like change that they initiated themselves, but people can cope with change that they understand why they need because then they have like, okay, I get it. It's going to be cold, but I didn't feel like putting like that jacket on because it craps my style or, yeah. or whatever it is. So, so it's one of those, I think you have to be a bit of a storyteller. I think you need to 
be daring enough to tell, open the kimono as much so you can tell the story mm-hmm. and, and get everybody on board. Uh, and also let people understand that, you know, that the train is leaving the platform uh, and you can get off on any stop if this is not your ride. But staying on or being in, in the station when we leave is is not necessarily a good decision, right? Because we need to move. And it's tiring with, with change, but we try to prepare people in uh, before they join Spotify when they are onboarded, but also when they hear that change is our constant. And other companies might say that, but they might not have the courage or you know be brave enough to live by it. And then you go, I don't want to do change because it might not sit really well with everybody or we needed to do a change two months ago and here's something else. But that is, you know, you need to both learn, but you sometimes need to change faster than the world is changing. Right. And, 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 but you also have to admit that that is really tiring and that most people have like an inner break uh, and, and will pump that break and not go, yeah, this is the best thing ever. Let's do another change. And on top of that, a change. So, so these are the things that you need to kind of um, smoothly try to use the different levers, right? When you do change management, but you also need to do this, which I tell my team, look yourself in the mirror. If you are change averse, how on earth will you be the propellers and also the change agents in the organization? You have to swallow your own medicine too, right? Uh, and it's not about they need to change or they don't understand or I will have the managers or the rest. So you have to add a system from inside out not necessarily top-down or bottom-up, but the people that will guide you, inform you, and also make sure that, hey, everybody's on board that wants to be on board. You have to be maybe leading from the front in that sense that can't go, mm, it's for them and not for us, right? It's tricky. I can I can feel myself constricting in my body listening to you talking about change because it's very easy to kind of and I, you know, do thinking and writing and speaking quite mm. a bit, and it's comfortable, right? You can you can exercise, uh, you know, imaginal scenes in your mind, your heart's content. But actually, when it comes into mm. physical changes, making different decisions about, you know, what you're going to do in your work, where you're going to apply new skills, it's it's uncomfortable and it requires resource and commitment and. And I often think of it as like bandwidth. You have to be well-resourced and have the bandwidth to be able to take yourself to these limits. And so I wonder, one of the things that you that you also point out in the book is around this, this idea of mutual benefit uh, and that that's something that HR really holds at its heart. And so when, when you're encouraging people to embrace more change, especially when we're talking about increasing automation, AI integration, but especially, you know, you're in Spotify. Spotify is one of the big companies that is really pioneering some of the changes that then trickle down to those of us who are not working directly in technology. What are the greatest challenges you see, either from kind of people coping with change perspective or or directing that change, knowing where to lead the rest of the technological world? Because when you're such a big player, that's also, you, you, you have a role as stewards almost in shaping the future technology. Mm. I think one of the things, if if you are in a leading position, especially I think 
in what is our core business, uh, you know, product and tech in, in so many ways. I think one of the typical tricks, no matter who you are or or what, if it's a if it's a small or, or big feat or, or or charge that you have in ahead of yourself, I think you should not take on the burden of thinking that you are a role model in that sense that the world is watching because then I think it's very hard to be courageous. <laughs> I think you should just go yeah. back to what your roots are and what, if you are like we, a data informed company and you also have some experience, you mix that in a box. And when you have enough, not all, when you have enough data or you are feeling confident, you should just, you know, um, go and go with confidence, but also be humble enough to iterate um, and admit when the, the the open bet is proven to be a losing bet, uh, and celebrate when it's a winning bet. But it's still about the learnings, right? You do more learning sometimes when you go the wrong way, but you had at the time all the right data points saying. Yeah. So as always, well, you have to not just connect the dots, you you need to collect them first, and then it's all about execution. But uh, for to be able to execute, especially something that is contrarian, back to why you need to be, you know, brave or have the courage um, to do so. So it goes down to some sort of leadership too. And I know that it's uh, well debated and I, I use a metaphor that usually is not necessarily all that okay, but I, I usually say uh, to my to at least my team and, and I dare to say it to the rest of the teams also at Spotify, but I, I view data and, and I prefer when we say that we are data informed rather than data led. Uh, because I think data is like a bikini. It it, it shows a lot, uh, but it hides the most important parts. And it's easy to be seduced. And and uh, I know that in outside HR, when you say, hey, listen, to, uh, trust my instincts or intuition, people forget that intuition is, is, is actually experience. It's something, it's not something that is flimsy or like uh, uh, coming from the air or something like that. It's, it's, <laughs> It's something that you have done or practiced so many times that without the data points, even everything tells you to go uh, right. Um, but you think it's smarter at this point to go left. Um, and this is also where the contrarian and also if you then succeed, the reward will be much higher. Mm. Obviously, if you if it's a mistake, one, you don't owe up to it, two, you don't learn from it, not so good. Um, but once in a while, you have to do that because playing it safe will only keep you at the same place um, forever and ever. And that game is the most dangerous game. So I think it's it's about having a game plan, a philosophy. I think also it has to do with your, you know, operating model or MO. But but for sure, you have to also build a culture where it's okay. And these parts are well thought through of, okay, how do we react as a collective when we do these things? Or do we punish the brave, right? Uh, or do we put them on a pedestal, which might not be good either, because then you only do really crazy stuff all over the place. Yeah. And everybody like, yeah, but at least I tried. And you go, yeah, but not so clever. Uh, <laughs> right? So it's, 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 it's one of those 
where I think sometimes a lot of organizations think they end up with a culture or that you can't really um, build or have culture or leadership or or a full kind of back to the orchestra that it kind of it just ends up being something and I, I believe on the opposite and 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 I believe that it's not necessarily molded and for sure not by only HR but you have a deliberate plan and you're intentional about everything and um, then it's also easier for the people uh, to choose if they want to join or not join if this is something for them or not it's also no easier for us to know what a what a culture add-on would be uh, so you don't go into the trap of only how culture fits so I'm wondering where to take this conversation next because there's a few things I'm keen to ask you so one of the things that I wanted to ask you is around where you see the next big innovations happening whether it's like an iterative thing or something that's going to be a massive game changer from the tech side but I also want to spend a little bit more time exploring with you again around this people adapting element what you see as the the most exciting challenges and opportunities for HR, for, for the workplace and how that might develop. Because I think we're at a point of key potential for transformation. Mm. And so I don't know which of those tracks you'd like to go down first. Maybe you can pick what appeals more to you. Yeah, or as maybe I derail as usual and then I mix all of them. <laughs> and then you, go then you keep me real. But I think one of the really cool things that will happen uh, in one way or another is automation, right? Um, uh, and in a way that we might not have seen since we all went from farming into some sort of industrialization um, where we gained efficiency uh, without necessarily working harder. Hmm. But a lot of people had a total different job. And we have seen iterations, and I think we even have taken in our mouth uh, words like uh, paradigm shifts. But I think what we are going to experience, all of us that are lucky to be in a workplace, um, in the very, very near future, I think we will see one of those paradigm shifts uh, where automation, due to new technology, um, will actually change a lot of things for a lot of things. I also think that the currency, if if I put it like that, I think the currency of different roles or professions uh, will be turned maybe a bit on their, uh, its head. And I think that will be devastating for some and uh, winning the lottery for others. And I think it will be fewer of... Um, of professions too, most likely where it might have been a scarcity um, um, due to the technology. Uh, so I think it's going to be a lot of things to di- digest, but also have a plan. And uh, I, I, as usually when we do gains too, historically at least, is like, or when you make more money, you find new holes to put the money in. And the same when you go efficiency, you make up something else. Humanity usually comes up with something where, okay, let's do this now instead. Well, we, but there are a couple of things that are quite interesting um, that I think, uh, and I think it spells because I don't have a better word and we might use a different word in the future when we know exactly what it looks like. But I think if you go just to GNA, if we leave 
product and tech and design or engineering for a while, if you go into the classical, you know, legal, finance, marketing, PR comms, HR, the, the, the GNA, right, um, functions or support functions or staff functions, whatever you would like to call them, what if automation looked 100% different than it does today? And how many of these teams in most of the world, public or private sector, is automized at all? I would challenge and say, or maybe be even prov- provocative and say, most of them zero, right? And I don't necessarily think that they are all that data informed either. I don't think even that they are having AI in their processes today. And the technology for that has been around for several years. So I I think it's one of those, uh, uh, we might be scared or we hide behind Mm. it's not compliant or uh, can't really do that. Or it's not, um, it's actually the law we are talking about. So do you want that to be automized? But what are these really big, uh, large, you know, language models? What are they capable to do already? It has a lot to do with black text and white background, right? But what I'm not saying is that we don't need lawyers. We might need even more. But now they will do the things that is really tricky rather than all the time consuming. I need to read up on the full case. I need to write everything is in perfect kind of legal language. That could be maybe optimized so the things that needs the human brain or the consciousness, right, um, what happens then? So uh, I, 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 sometimes I want to not fast forward and sometimes I just want to fast forward and see what it actually means. <laughs> but I don't want to hit the I don't want to hit the stop button and I don't want to rewind. The, those are the only two things I, do, I know but. Sometimes it's like with the spring and summer living in the Nordics, you want it to be longer and slower, right? So we have more of it before the darkness and the cold comes back. And I think it's the same thing. But I also, when winter comes and it's cold and crispy, you realize that the, the snow and the, you know, the ice skating and, and, the, and you know, skiing is not so bad. So it's going to be a lot of things. I don't think it's going to be minor things. It's going to be a lot of things. So for people listening to this, and there's a whole bunch of different folks will be listening to this thinking, all right, well, what do I do? How do I wrap up? What kind of coach should I buy Um, to to extend the metaphor? And you mentioned earlier soft skills and our capacity for visioning and Mm -hmm. empathizing and sort of that sort of realm of things. If we are retraining people and we're looking to find ways in which we can contribute to society because I don't think work is going to suddenly go away the nature of work may well change people's roles will change you mentioned earlier about certain industries maybe Mm. being tipped on their head so I can imagine you know if you think about emotional labor being something that AI cannot do yet that then we come to prize more highly maybe that suddenly changes all sorts of things in the world of work but I'm wondering what are what are some of the things that you personally are thinking about Um, that will have greater importance and value and weight in terms of skills that people can also focus on, like developing for themselves? So if I look in my closest kind of circle, which would be then the HR team, um, uh, even if I have other teams too, I think it's the combination of what we actually are trying to describe in the book. It is to really use the knowledge that you have 
on behaviors, but if you only have them, but don't air them, use them, talk about them, and if you're not being, well, if you don't have the courage to do so, even if when it's not asked for or it's not welcomed, and especially if people are a bit scared about the changes, then then I don't think your skill set will be or or come to use. I think though, but if you combine them and you do what I think everybody should do now. So from our side, I think we need to learn as fast as we can everything that has to do with technology. And from the other side, the people that are very good at technology, even if the technology new, and I'm just now being a bit like, thinking that most likely it's easy for engineers to also get the new technology faster than the people that are not engineers. I think for them to try to develop some soft skills. Hmm. Um, so I, I think it's the crossover that is a bit new and not that we will become engineers because the engineers do that so much better <laughs> and, and not for the engineers to become experts on soft skill and exercise that all the time because if they if they were interested and really good at that, they would have chosen, right? Yeah. But I think that crossover uh, will be more important because I think it's very much needed so you don't forget about the humanity within the new intersectionality of the new technology. So I think it's that is one thing. The other thing is, I, I think it's going to be key to to not think that you can get aboard much later. <laughs> I think it's actually starting to study again in a way that, okay, what does it mean for us? And try the chat GPTs and Hey, even if it's maybe just a stage uh, of how do you prompt and if you, your colleague prompts better, he, she, they get a better answer and all that. But but surely that is a stage for the, the big computers. Then they will start to ask you the right questions and then you answer them. So then you don't have to be as good as, a you know, on prompting. Uh, but but why not play around with it so you understand what it is so it's not scary i think it's i i think that is the biggest important thing it it can't be scary and it can't be like science fiction or it's around the corner or i i will even retire before it happens and then i'm excited about another thing in the neuro and and this is where a word i can't say so i <laughs> i say a word that is very close to it but i can't pronounce it but in the neurodiversity, and, and uh, there is another word for it, but, but you will surely, and the listeners will understand what I'm trying to say. There is a lot of things that we know uh, for a fact too. So for instance, um, the people like myself that, uh, and I didn't necessarily struggle, but, but it came with a lot of things. So I had to crack the code and do things a bit different because I have uh, dyslexia, right? <laughs> but there are a couple of things that are pretty cool with the new technology, especially when the prompting is not written in the future, and that's just around the corner, where you can actually talk to the computer. He, she, or the computer now, I also put a, put a, almost a gender on, on it, but, <laughs> yes, yes. but it answers um, you uh, with a text that will be perfect, which is perfect, and in all languages, right? Which will be, hey, I'm now on a much more even playing field like everybody else and here it's oh now the technology is working and democratizing something that i can do that i couldn't do before mm. or i could actually try out to do a bit of coding or making music 
because the computer is helping you with the things that doesn't have to do with my creativity or my wish or what makes me happy. I want to build something. Most people want to do that. Or I want to write something and it would be lovely to write something that is perfect and has all the vowels and not just the consonants, right? But the other thing is with the skill set that you most likely develop, and it, it's not for all people, but a lot of people with dyslexia is that you can take decisions faster with less less information and the speed and the need for speed and the power of focus all of a sudden technology might now help people that were told already in school that Mm. maybe you are a bit stupid or you're not and what if all kids uh, that struggles with different uh, uh, with a variation if if we could actually apply without having as many teachers as pupils uh, with the knowledge in focus, but we teach the, 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 the students where they are. And here I think technology will be fascinating and I think that will continue in the work life. Mm. So, yes, we can talk about uh, ethical things and we can talk about the scary things and that could hide us, uh, hold us back, Right. But instead, let's lean in and, and like just jump into this pool of possibilities and opportunities. And yes, there will be people that will use this technology for bad, but there's always been, mm-hmm. right? And we don't create, create societies or even laws for the people that don't understand what it is to coexist. It's, it's actually, uh, it's, it's, it, most people do understand it, even if we didn't know the concept, right? So there's so many things that are pretty cool now. And um, I'm not a tech geek, but I'm not averse to it either. Uh, and I think it's helpful now back to the trying to find a way of staying passionate, curious, and, and uh, having that open, open doors rather than close them. Mm-hmm. I think that propensity to play is also really important. You mentioned this at an early part of the conversation which is it's it's something that happens later that gets shut down and so if we can find a way to not shut that down in systemic ways mm. but also to reignite that flame or to turn up that flame when we see it in others uh, sounds like a really affirmative way to start so we're coming to the end of the podcast section and I have three questions to close out this bit before we go to the quick fire patreon round mm. so I'd like to ask perhaps in the realm of how you've remained open and playful and curious what tools or practices have been invaluable to you so first one i, I might be cheating but i think uh, the playfulness comes from that i'm i'm pretty silly as a person and quite childish <laughs> to be honest uh, and the second thing is a debate i had quite early with my father when when i said i think work needs to be fun and he said like you don't go to the funny you go to work and it's it's named like that for a reason but I think he was wrong. He was right in so many ways, and that's why he's also mentioned in the book. Mm. But um, I think he was wrong here because what you find to be nice, fun, and funny, you usually turn out to be quite good at. Mm. Um, and there's nothing that is versus or opposite of being childish or playful and being professional, right? Uh, and it's back to the courage. Just try it to be a bit more yourself and a bit silly or quirky or whatever you are, uh, people will not go like, oh, so you can't be the CHRO and be, be, be silly. Obviously you can. Uh, <laughs> but I think these are the things that it's not so much about practicing. I think it's just 
go back to who you are. And I think we all have a piece of that, but then we try to hide that or we think that that was for school or for friends or for family, not for work life. And I I, I think that is a a waste of energy. And I think that energy um, actually um, makes you better at your work, no matter if it's about learning or doing things or um, in conflicts or or whatever, um, when you need to have a lot of energy to kind of just push through. The second part that I think you can learn and you have, it's one of those, most of the things you have to do a lot of times. You just have to practice things, right? And you get better at it. And you also have to find your style. Uh, People that are good presenters, they don't present the same way. People that are good storytellers, they have different styles of of, of telling a story. Mm. So you have to find who you are and not try to mimic. I think that is very important with the different things that you do. And then the last thing is most people are actually looking for something. that that, uh, Obviously, there are people that are not, but most people, most of us, want to have kind of a safe haven but still develop there. Mm. And and most of us have bills to pay and, and want to live in somewhere where it's like pretty warm and, and 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 eat food every day. So work is important. And the most important way or the best way to keep a job is two things. That the organization that you work for is doing well and you are doing your part. There are no other ways. You need to lead with your work. And, and part of, of the new work life that's been around for a long time is long life learning. That's not like I, I went to university 20 years ago and here, you know, I'm still an expert. No, you're not. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, very few people are, right? Uh, or you might be, but then nobody needs that product or that service that you were an expert if nothing developed for 20 years. Yeah. Um, so these are the things that we need to remind ourselves of that you have to, it's a hit, hit, remind. That is life. Uh, you need to. And then the, I think the last piece that we sometimes forget to say to the, the young adults today, life is not fair. It's going to be hardships, but it's going to be plenty of the good times too. And and it will not kill you uh, in the downs if you don't let it. Um, so you have to work on on the on on the res- the grits, right? The guts, yeah. the resilience, the in 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 you know the tenacity. Uh, these are the things that are really, really important in life. And uh, if you only expect that you will be 100% in love with everything and everyone all the time, or it's going to be from one great thing to another, and then it's going to be, you know, uh, no. Uh, (laughs) Especially if the biggest gift in life is given to you, that you have a long life, uh, right? It's going to be ups and downs. Uh, and you have to love or at least learn how to embrace that too. Okay. So on that note, um, I'd love to just ask you where people can best find you and the book, and then we'll move to the Patreon round. So where can people find you and the book and your work? So the best way to find me and my team and the work that we do is actually we started a blog that is Spotify HR blog a lot of many, many, many years ago because a lot of we got like hundreds and, and then it turned out to be 200 and then at 300 emails a week of can we come and visit and can you tell us how you work and panels and keynotes. And and we, we believe in open source. 
Um, and and we were turning down 99% because we needed to really help this company in, in the hyper growth. So then we started the Spotify blog and there we write about the good and the bad <laughs> and the ugly. So there you can follow us. Then uh, because we do podcasts and we are an audio company, we started a VOD slash a pod, depending if you want to see and listen or just listen. Um, that is called HR Over the Counter uh, or HR The Real Deal if you go to YouTube. But I think you should go to Spotify. So then it's HR, uh, over the counter. Cheeky um, Yes, yes. And the book, yes, you are right. Uh, bold uh, strategic um, uh, HR work in the new era is only in Swedish now. For now. But it was actually written in English to begin with. And then for different reasons, we went back to a Swedish publishing house, uh, or it's actually Finnish, and wrote it in, in Swedish. And now it's, it's out in Swedish, but... There will be an English version coming, okay. but I don't really know when. Um, we need to do the work <laughs> first for Spotify and the book. But the book is the same thing. It's it's the open source thinking. And as long as people are asking us, we would like to share. Um, so, um, And then on LinkedIn, of course. Lovely. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Natalie Nahai in conversation. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do pop over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen and give a rating and a review. It really does mean the world to me to read your support and it keeps me going to create more seasons, especially as this is a self-funded project into which we pour hours of work creating, recording, and producing each episode. To find out more about my work and how to get involved in my projects, you can sign up to my newsletter at natalinahai.com, explore additional books and resources at natalinahai.com forward slash resources, and you can follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at natalinahai. My thanks to Caro C for producing, thank you for listening, and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.